My name's Esther. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Ebby Turt. Um, it's great to have you with us this morning. We have um, some people, actual real-life people here as well, so um, great to see all of you. I can only see your eyes, but I assume you're loving life and happy to be here. Yes, we'll go with it. Um, so, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's September. I literally have no idea how we've got here. Like, time is just so weird. Like, in some ways, it feels like it goes super quick. But at the same time, life before March seems like it could honestly be about 500 years ago. I don't think that's just me. Um, and as a church, we generally base our calendar around an academic year. So September always feels like the start of a new year. So, Happy New Year. You can say that back to me if you want. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we like to use a couple of Sundays at the start of September um, to have a talk around and a bit of a think and focus on vision. So what is God saying? Uh, where are we going and headed as church together? Uh, these are interesting times to be doing this, um, but even in amongst lots of uncertainty and questions, God is still speaking, isn't he? Like he still wants to encourage us, challenge us, get alongside us, and to work out with us what being Jesus followers and the church looks like in the middle of a pandemic. Like God hasn't pressed pause. He's not waiting for this to be over before hitting play again. Like there's stuff for us right here, right now, that is guaranteed. So today we are going to breathe. An important thing to do generally, uh, but maybe especially right now. And I think there's something about pausing at the start of a new year, and yeah, maybe this new year in particular, taking a moment, taking a breath, as we move into what might be next. And we're gonna do this today by walking through a poem in the Bible uh, it's written by a guy called David, and it's Psalm 23. Uh, you can find it pretty much right in the middle of the Bible. Um, if you've got a Bible um, on your phone or in real life, um, I'd encourage you to keep it open, um, have it handy as we kind of track through it together. Uh, but let's have a read of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just going to pray. Yeah, Father God, yeah, will you speak to us today? I pray that as we, yeah, as we walk through this psalm together, that we will, we will see you, uh, that we will hear you speak to us. Yeah, will you... Will you change us? Will you do what you want with us today through your words? Amen. 
So this psalm is probably the best known out of all 150 psalms in the Bible. Um, And it's one that has become quite significant for me. I've intentionally learnt this psalm so that when I struggle with my sleep, um, I've got somewhere else to go other than Netflix. But for the sake of integrity and honesty, in the last two weeks, my sleep has been all over the shop and I've been awake at random times in the night. And I have spent a disproportionately large amount of time watching Selling Sunset, Million Dollar Beach Houses. Not so much time in Psalm 23, but the thought is there. Don't judge me on what I watch either. Um, So, yes, Psalm 23 is really, really important for me. I read this psalm at my grandpa's funeral. Um, We sang this psalm at my granny's funeral. It means a lot to me. It reminds me of people that I love. But even so... It can easily just become words that I read without much of a second look or a a thought. Like Psalm 23, it's calm, it's peaceful, and it's meditative. It's also gritty, defiant, and active. And that's why I think it's perfect for us today, in this time and at the start of this new year. So, let's get into it. Um, We're going to break it down into three bits, and we're going to pause, we're going to breathe, and we're going to move. So we're going to start at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's quite easy to skip past this verse, and I kind of think maybe that might be because we're so keen to get to the, the lying down, the quiet waters, the refreshing soul of verses two and three. But I think it's really important that we pause here, read it again, and let it sink in. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I think when we do that, or for me anyway, that pause is quickly followed by two questions. My what? And really? A shepherd It's not a profession that we come up against very often in our city-based Western culture. David, on the other hand, the guy who wrote this poem, he's been there and he's done this job. I don't know about you, but what kind of picture do you have in your head when you think of a shepherd? What I have is a bearded guy, probably Jesus, wearing white, looking all pristine and radiant, calmly carrying a sheep across his shoulders. And I'm not sure that that is very accurate because a shepherd gets up early, like early in the morning. They take a load of sheep off somewhere to eat grass. They keep a close eye on the sheep all day. If a sheep wanders off, which they do, the shepherd searches until it's found. They make sure their sheep have water and move them around from place to place till they've had enough. The shepherd also watches the sheep through the night, fights off and protects them from any predators, human or animal, literally putting their body and life on the line. It's full-on, 100% committed, hard graft. And I reckon a shepherd comes back from a shift with the sheep, exhausted, sweaty, 
dirty, even a bit bloody and bruised. So how does that fit with God? Like how, do, yeah, how do these two things fit together? Like a shepherd, God is in it for the long haul. He will never give up searching for us. He carefully guides and leads us. He knows us intimately and personally, and he is our fierce protector. He will stop at nothing to bring us home, love us no matter how many times we wander off. He will fight for us, get dirty, sweaty, bloody, and bruised for us. This picture is true for us in September 2020, as much as it was for David when he wrote these words. But then it gets tricky. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And this is where my second question really comes in. Like, do I really believe that God as my shepherd is enough? That I lack nothing? Does my life and how I live it, does it really reflect these words? Like this statement, this truth. I lack nothing. And then my head goes to an even trickier place because I'm suddenly aware of the immense place of privilege I read this verse from. I have so much in all, all kinds of ways. Life hasn't been and isn't easy, but relatively speaking. So I want to encourage us to wrestle this out with God. I don't have answers or a nicely wrapped up summary to give you here. And I don't know where you're at or what your life situation is. Like maybe, maybe it's easy for you to say, I lack nothing. And maybe you need to get a bit of what the reality of life is like for other people, get a bit of perspective. And maybe it feel, feels horribly offensive for me to even suggest it's possible for you to say, I lack nothing to suggest that God is enough because life doesn't feel like that. And so we're actually going to pause now and take a couple of minutes. And I'm going to put this first verse on the screen. And I want to encourage all of us to talk to God, wrestle, ask God what he's saying to you in amongst these eight words. And actually, if this takes a bit longer hit pause, give yourself some space and come back to the rest of this later. Like these words are pretty weighty. So we're going to take a couple of minutes. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing.
Okay. Like I said, don't move on too quickly from that. Do go back to this later if you need to. But now we get to the place we've been waiting for. And to be honest, probably want to stop and stay. It's uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what they say. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And breathe. It's easy to forget, especially if we're familiar with these words, that this is a poem. This poem was written by David about his God. And I'm pretty sure he didn't expect it to become a part of this thing called the Bible that people would read for hundreds and thousands of years to come. This is a poem about that relationship, the relationship David has with his God. It's personal, it's intimate, and I think we see that in these verses here. And I'm interested um, in the verbs David uses. He talks about how God, his shepherd, makes me, leads me, refreshes me. And they're kind of like forceful sounding words, aren't they? But like God is never going to pick you up, shove you under his arm, kicking and screaming, and make you lie down in a green pasture. He's not going to force you to walk beside the quiet waters or chuck a bucket of cold water over you in an attempt to refresh your soul, like no matter how much you need it. Because this is about relationship. And it's one that is all about invitation and choice. We see this so much in Jesus and the stuff he says. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation. So we have a choice as to how we respond. This kind of sounds like a bit of a no-brainer, doesn't it? Hmm, you know, like, what should I choose? Uh, a refreshed soul and Jesus-inspired um, rest or try and do everything on my own, my own way. And I remember a time not so long ago um, and I stood at the front of church when we were back at Orchard School and it was the end of a service and I shared this verse from Matthew 11. I shared the invitation because I felt like it was something that Jesus wanted the church to hear and have space to respond to. And the thing was, at the same time, as I read those words out loud, inside, my body, mind, heart and soul were screaming. Like, this is me. Like, I need this, but... I can't admit it, and I don't know how to genuinely say yes to Jesus. And for me, it was so easy to come up with excuses. Like, I've got things to do, people to care for, responsibilities to fulfill, and I just don't have time to unravel everything going on right now. Like, saying yes to Jesus' invitation isn't easy. It involves us being vulnerable, honest, and admitting that we can't do this whatever this is, on our own. Encouragingly, though, like all Jesus' invitations, this isn't a one-time only, miss it once and it's gone kind of deal. Like Jesus will keep inviting us again 
and again and again, however long it takes to stop and take a breath. So we're going to take a couple of minutes space again, this time to breathe. Uh, these verses will uh, be on your screen. And yeah, hear the invitation that comes from the relationship on offer with God, with Jesus. And again, I want to encourage you to respond honestly, whatever that means for you right now. And like before, if it takes longer, go with it. You can catch up on the rest later. So a couple of minutes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And although this is a good place to be, and I don't want to drag you away too quick, but our David psalm doesn't stop here. And to be honest, I even cut verse 3 short back there. The rest of verse 3, after the green pastures, quiet waters, and refreshed soul, says this. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Or here's the message paraphrase, which I particularly like. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. The rest of this psalm involves movement. And I think it might be good to say at this point what God-inspired movement is not. Movement does not mean rushing around crazy busy. It doesn't mean doing all the stuff, trying to save the world. It's not the thing that defines us and our identity. Easier said than done but that's the truth. But if we call ourselves Christians right now, we are followers of Jesus. And this isn't a casual follow on Twitter to keep up with Jesus' ideas, throwing out a like or retweet when we fancy it. This is a literal and costly 
follow in the footsteps of a person who lived life radically, controversially, out and about in the mix of all the stuff of life. Following Jesus involves movement. That second part of verse 3, it's good, isn't it? Our shepherd is walking with us, nudging us and pointing us in the right direction. So we're on the move. We've got our shepherd with us. Everything is good. Then verse 4 hits. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, I'm not sure when David wrote this psalm in his lifetime, but this is a guy who went through a lot. There were the highs of giant slaying, becoming king, scoring countless victories in battles fought. And then there were the lows of adultery, murder, murder, the death of his child. David knew painfully and intimately the dark valley of failure and loss. He also knew the absolute certainty of God, his shepherd, right there with him in that place. Uh, If you want to have a read of Psalm 51 at another point, um, that's a great insight into that kind of part of David's life. But signing up to follow Jesus, it doesn't come with a get out of the dark valley free card. And I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that. But it does come with a not on your own guarantee. And that's not a cheesy cliche or a shallow thing for me to just throw at you to try and make it easier to swallow like it's truth truth that is deep and life-changing and there are two important words in verse four and i think those words are walk through even in the darkest valley we keep moving not because we're tough or strong in ourselves but because we've got our shepherd with us. And as we move, even in this dark place, good can happen. And we see this in other parts of the Bible. Um, In Psalm 84, it talks um, about a dry valley of tears and how that dry valley becomes a place of springs covered in pools as people walk through it. And Isaiah 58, it talks about the darkness of injustice and oppression. And as we move in that, in verse 8, it says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Transformation in ourselves and the spaces we're in happens as we move through our dark valleys. As we move change happens and I think that's pretty cool and another thing that is pretty cool is the picture that David paints for us in verses five and six these are the last two verses of our psalm you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is cooking for us. 
I love it when other people cook for me, just in case anyone's interested. Um, so this can only mean good things. And the message version goes as far as to call it a six-course dinner. It seems a bit excessive, but sure, I'm in. David also, he talks about an overflowing cup. Sign me up for that. And there's anointed heads, goodness and love, hanging out with God in his home as standard. Love it. Sounds like a great end goal, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Slipped in amongst all this is in the presence of my enemies. All this good stuff is not happening right at the end when everything's sorted, when we're perfect and life is going swimmingly. It's a now thing. It's a in amongst the darkest valley, when life is complicated, when we have no idea what's going on, what we're supposed to be doing, when it's all been thrown up in the air again. When life is a mess, when it's painful, when it hurts, these verses are still true. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But Psalm 23, it's not an instruction manual of how to get from the start to the end. It's not like you have verse 1 nailed, then you can move to verse 2. Get verse 2 sorted, then you can move on to verse 3. And I haven't, didn't mean to make it sound like that. Life is messy. It's not formulaic. It's not static and fixed, linear and straightforward. And you know what? That's, that's okay. If you have a read of Jesus' life on earth stories, I think you'll see that in his own life. There is something that is static and fixed, though. Something that is solid, firm, dependable, and you might guess where I'm going with this, but look through this whole psalm, and there's one thing, one person, who is the constant thread running through it all. All the stuff of life. And that's God, our shepherd. He's in it all, always present. So we're going to take a final couple of minutes with the rest of this psalm. Um, ask God if there's anything for you in this movement theme, maybe. Or, of course, he might be saying something totally different to you. Take a moment and listen. Um, then I'm going to pray to finish. So, a couple of minutes. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
a couple of things, um, actually, just before I pray. Um, I, the, with God being our shepherd, I feel like the specific thing around God being our fierce protector, like that shepherd who they put their body on the line, like literally, that, yeah, maybe we need to know that. We need to be reminded that, yeah, God is our fierce protector. Yeah, um, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Yeah, thank you that these words that were written by a guy years and years ago, uh, yeah, speaking to us today. Yeah, thank you that these words are alive, they're powerful. And yeah, Father, at the start of this new year, yeah, I pray that we will absorb this, yeah, this poem, that the truths in it um, will be something that we stand on, hold on to, cling on to, have confidence in as we move into this new year. And Father, I want to I want to pray, um, yeah, for that transformation as we move. Yeah, Father, I pray that as we move through our personal dark valleys, as we move through the, the dark valley that we're all in, yeah, that as we move that you will do your amazing transforming work in us and in the spaces that we do life in yeah i pray that where the valleys are dry and full of tears that they will be overflowing with springs and your living water Yeah, Father, we, we put ourselves into your hands. We don't know what the year ahead looks like, but we trust you. Thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that your goodness and love will follow us all the days of our life. And we are at home with you. Amen.